Good morning, everyone. It's great to see so many visitors amongst us this morning. You are so welcome. The next slide, please, yes. Okay. <laughs> so um, what do all these things up here have in common? King. Yes. So um, that's my subject this morning. King. Now, um, if any one of these things, people, entered the room now, I'm sure there'd be a reaction. <laughs> Agreed? There would be a reaction if any one of these came into the room. Varying reactions, you might um, lock up your daughters, maybe. I mean, some said the king of rock and roll is dead. I'm not sure. Some of you might be surprised to see him. And a cobra, I'm sure if a snake came in a king cobra, there would be a big reaction in here. Now, I put these up here because actually a king has entered the room. A king has entered the stage and it demands a reaction. And I want you all to see and be able to acknowledge the king of kings amongst us. And so my subject this morning is the king of kings. And we're going to look at um, a character in the Old Testament it was a forerunner, a foreshadow of the King of Kings to come. So um, throughout the Old Testament, the overarching narrative was basically, we have a big problem here. We have a big problem. And they're looking for someone to come and sort it out. And throughout uh, the Old Testament, we can see lots of different men and women coming, and, uh, but they don't quite match up to what's needed. <coughs> you remember Noah, he comes as a saviour to the world. Could he be the one? Well, shortly after coming out of the ark, we read that he uh, passes out naked, drunk. He's not the one. There are other hopefuls like Abraham, but he thinks it's okay to have sex with his wife's slave. And so he's certainly not the one. Moses comes with the law to be the saviour. But then a momentary act of anger towards the people and a lack of faith in God prevents him to entering into the promised land different men come. Joshua, with his military might, comes. Could he be the one to deliver the people? He's a promising candidate. Even, actually, his Hebrew name, Yeshua, means Jesus in Greek. Could he be the one? No. Like the others before, he dies. So, they continue to look for the one to sort this big problem in the world. And then um, the Israelites convince what they actually need is a king. All the other nations have a king. They think they need a king to defend them. I'm just going to adjust this, stop it rocking. All the other nations have a king, and they think that they need a king to defend them. And they actually say to Samuel, give us a king. You can read in Samuel 8, 19. 
the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us, that we all also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go before us and fight our battles. So Saul enters the stage. He's an absolute disaster. He's not the one. And then King David comes. He comes onto the stage. He was an extraordinary king, actually. He defeats the Philistines, and he starts the work of rescue and salvation. But even he, this promising King David, has an epic fail as he sleeps with his best friend's wife and then kills his friend. He may not be the king, but he does certainly point to the king of kings, and that's what we're going to look at. So despite David's failings, he was a successful and powerful king, but he always knew, actually, that a greater one was going to come after him. And you can look in Psalms of how he prophesied for this greater king coming after him. In Psalm 5-2 it says, Give attention to the sound of my cry. This is while he was reigning. He was the king. He said, My king and my God, to, to you do I pray. So he was acknowledging there was another king. And also in Psalm 22 he says, For kingship belongs to who? Belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. So this may not have made any sense, him saying these things at the time. But it looked forward to a day when the king of kings would come. We now live in the knowledge that the true king of David has come. Jesus has come. So um, we're going to look at some of the similarities of King David and, um, and Jesus. And from the beginning... David was kind of came from obscurity, didn't he? He was on the hills, in the mountains, tending sheep, a lowly job. And just like Jesus, he came into the world in obscurity. He was just a common carpenter in Galilee. So um, when people did actually come under the reign of King David, some good things did happen. Some really good things did happen. Things changed for the better. I want to tell you, when you come under the reign of King Jesus, it's completely transformative. The, the completeness of what David started, the fullness can be realized as we come and experience and receive his rule and reign in our lives. So what can we expect when we come under the reign of this new king? Okay, I'm going to take my passage from Ezekiel 37. Let's read it together. Ezekiel 37, verses 21 to 28. I'll read through it, and then I'll pick out some different verses which we're going to look at. Okay, so this is a prophecy that speaks of David, but also speaks of a better king. Um, just picking up on verse 21. Then say to them, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone, and will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land. 
I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all. And they shall be no longer two nations, and no longer be divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves anymore, and their idols and their detestable things, or with their other transgressions. But I will save them from all their backsliding in which they have sinned, and I will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Verse 24. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. And there and they and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David my servant shall be their prince forever. I'll make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them. And I'll set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel. When my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. So there's various things I just want to pull out of this passage that prophesies about the coming king. The first thing I want to say is the king unites us. The king draws us together. Verse 22, we can see, I will make them one nation in the land. The king unites us. When we come under his rule and reign, our affections and our interests become one because we're focused under this one ruler. There's a harmony between people. And we start to understand what motivates one another in this kingdom. And we begin to support and strengthen one another, encourage one another. All the dividing walls that separated us once fall down. This is what the kingdom looks like under this new reign. Our overall vision and mission should trump all other differences all other opinions, styles, personality. And I want you to celebrate this union, this uh, unity of being under the king. I've, I've certainly seen it more and more recently as I've joined the leadership team here, as I've met with other churches in the area. There is a wonderful move of God in bringing all of the churches under one rule and reign. I meet with the Baptists, the Anglicans, the Catholics, the Salvation Army, the Free Church, all together. We come together. The Methodists. I met with them just a couple of weeks ago. And there's a oneness. There's a one heart. We are motivated by this one vision, this one call that God brings. And it's a very exciting time. This is an unprecedented time, actually. It hasn't always been like this. But God is drawing together his church. The king unites us. Verse 22, and one king shall be king over them all. It's a similar thing. The king is the head. This is really important for us to grasp. The king is the head. We are one people under his headship. 
And in this country, the monarch is often called the head of state. Our queen is the head of state. King Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. (coughs) He's not lording it over us. He's not in an aloof position. He's connected as we are the body. In Colossians 1.18 it says, He is the head of the body, the church. We are a body here. We're a body here. But we're a body connected to the head. We're a body connected to the king. You need to understand this because this changes everything. If the church was not connected to Jesus, it would be a very different story. We need to get our understanding that we are actually connected. Someone explained it to me the other day that um, if you imagine Christ as the head and there's a kind of an invisible kind of line through here and below is the earth and the church and we are that. And we're connected to the head and we need to understand that because Jesus sees things very differently. And if we keep our heads underneath here on earth, we could become very down. He wants us to lift our vision and our gaze to the heavens, what he's seeing. He wants to see ahead of what he's doing. Headship speaks of supremacy, leadership, authority. Headship is like the whole essence of life, isn't it? It's the fountain, it's the source. Now, when uh, King David was reigning, they wouldn't have been allowed up into the palace, into his, the king's house, to look over the city. But I tell you, in Jesus Christ's kingdom, we've been invited into the palace, into the home. We can now see from his perspective. I felt recently, actually, God just wanted me to realise, he wanted me to, heaven's reality to become into much sharper brighter focus. Pray that you would all have heaven's reality. It's greater than the reality of earth. It's everlasting. It's eternal. It will change your viewpoint. It will change how you are here on earth. So allow heaven's reality to become brighter and earth's become dimmer. This is the place of victory. This is the place that I want to live. I want you to live. Breathing in the air around the throne. This place of victory, of supremacy, of glory. Don't get caught up in the broken world. We're here. But lift your heads, lift your gaze. Know your position on the throne with the Lord Jesus. Give, him a di- give you a different view points. The king cleanses. In verse 23 it says this, they shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from all the backsliding in which they have sinned and I will cleanse them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. Any of you guys, if you've ever met the queen, I'd imagine that you would probably have a shower and maybe brush your teeth. When we're brought into royalty, we want to make sure we're on our very best. 
This is a call and a reminder that we are in the presence of the King. This is a call to discipline ourselves, to be ready and prepared, not in a heavy way, because we, we cannot do this on ourselves. Thankfully, we're cleansed by what Jesus did on the cross. This is the reality, that it's in Jesus the King. He's the one who cleanses us. But it certainly does provoke us to radical discipleship. I call you to do as it says in James. Resist the devil and and engage faith in God. We do still need to turn from sin. Yes, Jesus has covered us, but we still need to repent of our sin and move away from it. So keep resisting the devil and keep engaging faith in God. It's his blood that cleanses me. The king protects. In verse 24 it says, they shall all have one shepherd. Now one of the main roles of a shepherd is to protect the sheep. David was an excellent shepherd. He was his main role. as he, he, he looked after his sheep on the mountains. He was very good at defending his flock against bears and lions. He was a master with the slingshot. But David still realised that he needed protecting. I love that bit in the where he's, that, that song the ladies were singing about how Saul killed thousands and David can kill ten thousand. He could protect himself, couldn't he? But even though he knew how to protect himself in the natural, he knew he needed a defender and someone to protect him. We can read that. In Psalm 18, why don't I read that to you? In Psalm 18, this is what he says. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Christ the King wants to hem you in. He wants to protect you. He wants to keep you from harm. The important thing here is, you need to understand who your enemy is. Some of you this morning are confused of who your enemy is. It says in um, Ephesians that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil. This is your enemy here on earth. Know your enemy, but also know the one who can protect you. It's one thing knowing your enemy, but you need to know the one who can truly protect you. Not someone who can defeat 10,000 men, but someone who can stand in the gap and be your defence against sin and protect you from the wrath of God. John 10, 11 says, I am the good shepherd. 
the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what he's done. This is what this king's done. The good shepherd, he's laid down his life for each one of us. The king makes peace. Verse 26, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I love the word covenant. It goes so much deeper than promise. It's a binding, sealing promise, an eternal thing which can be unbroken. King David won peace in Jerusalem for a short while. Even today, battles are being won in that region. Won and lost. In Jesus, we have a binding, permanent, eternal peace. A promise of peace through God, the better king. Peace isn't just the absence of war. It's knowing the person of peace. Jesus, he himself is our peace. And we can get to know the king. I often find at times like this, um, 19th century Hungarian missionaries with very large beards can say it better than me. <laughs> but we have the quote up. Oh, here he is. Respect the beard. That's what I'm aiming for. So this guy says this. How perfect is the peace which the risen saviour gives to his people. It is his own peace which the head gives to his members. Again, it goes back to the head being connected to the members of the body. It is a blood-bought peace. It is, a, it is God's peace, ordained by him and beloved of him as his chosen rest. A peace that passeth all understanding and which is secure from all the interruptions and adverse influences of the world. Jesus has made peace between God and man. This is the everlasting peace that Christ the King can bring to you and me. Finally, one of my favourite subjects, the King is with them. I will try and get this in many of my sermons because this transforms your life. If you can grasp that the Jesus, the King Jesus is with you, it will change everything. His abiding presence is with us now. Like I said earlier, he's entered the room. He's amongst us. So let's read from verse 27 from Ezekiel. My dwelling place shall be with them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. His sanctuary is in our midst forever. He's actually chosen to reside in you and me, God's people. Woohoo! He's here. Now David succeeded in bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, where his son, the following king, built the tabernacle for it to be, built the temple for the house to house the presence of God. 
now in Christ the King, he has permanently made us his dwelling place. David lived in the king's house, but the people would have lived in the surrounding city. Now we're allowed into the king's house and into the throne room where we have a seat. We are seated with him in heavenly places. I so want um, the reality of who you are to infuse you, infuse and go deep right into you, that you are royalty. I want you to, that to be your default place. When you're fearful, when you're alone, you default into that secure, unwavering place of being a child of the king, beloved in his presence. Recently, I had a picture, actually, as I was worshipping, um, of this kind of comfortable place of being in God's presence. And it was, you know, the children, little toddlers, you'd be sat down on a chair, and they sometimes just like to crawl up your body, don't they? And just climb up your body and just maul your face and get as high as they can. And um, I just had that picture of me, actually, on the throne, crawling up the father's body. And I, my immediate reaction was, oh, this is a little bit disrespectful. This isn't right. As I was worshipping God, as I was clambering up father. And you know what happened as I was doing that? He took hold of me. And then he just lifted me, even higher. I want you up here. This is where you belong. I want you to come up here so you can see the view. See what I can see. And that's what he wants for you and me. There's this wonderful, glorious king that we can have a wonderful familiarity with a wonderful ease with because what have his son has done? He's broken down all the walls that we might come and have a relationship with the king of kings. That is my assured default position. Oh, how I long for that to be for every one of you. The king is here. I want you all to be heaven-bound. Heaven-bound, not be earth-bound. Don't be tied to this earth. We are on this earth, but I want you to be heaven-bound, linked intrinsically to the throne of God. So how do we respond to this? The king's entered. How do we respond? in order for you to kind of receive all these wonderful benefits of knowing the Lord Jesus as your king, that he unites us, that he's the head, that he cleanses us, 
that he protects us, that he's our peace, that he's with us. What do we need to do? You need to receive him as your king. And you need to allow him to reign. One of the responses to kings is to bow down, isn't it? I thought we'd end. Um, you can do this physically. If you want to, you can get on your knees. If you don't want to do that, you can just bow your head. But I think it would be good and right just to respond to the king who is in our presence. So why don't you shut your eyes? We may sing a song in a, in a moment, but I want this time for each of you to respond before the King of Kings. There's something wonderfully profound about actually just quieting your soul. I felt this morning as I was praying that uh, for many of you, There's a clamor, there's a noise in your life which is distracting you from the still peace of God. Come into his presence now. Ask that he would reign in you. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, still the clamor quieten people's souls, their minds now as they come before you, the reigning king.